0: Good evening, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord, and young people. I thought I'd stand out here since we're kind of a small group and, and the fan was already out here. So I want to first apologize to my brethren in North Little Rock who just recently heard these remarks. I hope it will not be totally unprofitable that you hear them again, but it's what I have ready. First of all can you still hear me? I didn't, I didn't want to get, I'm up here in front too close to the speakers maybe get the feedback. Is that okay? Can you hear me? To begin tonight I want to recount to you a true story. To begin my remarks this is non-fiction and the intention of this is just to help set the stage for our remarks and you'll have to use your imagination because it's such a hot day today but the story goes that it was a very cold and dreary day as best as i can recall it was the month of february outside, the clouds were low and foreboding. The temperature hovered just above freezing, and there was a light rain falling. If the temperature would have been just a few degrees colder, it would have probably been been snowing. It was one of those days that you just could not seem to get warm. And you could feel the cold and dampness all the way through to your bones. The weather made it difficult on the little group of mourners that were assembled that day in the small rural cemetery. The small and narrow road that snaked its way through the gravesites was muddy and sloppy. The wind was beginning to pick up, which caused those assembled to draw their coats closely to them in an attempt to ward off the cold and the damp as they exited from their automobiles. It was not a large group of people there that day. There was about maybe 35 or 40 people. The weather had probably prevented some from coming that would have maybe otherwise been there. The small group were almost all able to fit under the tent that had been set up by a gravesite. However, it offered only slight protection from the elements. I can remember my mind flooding with with thoughts as I approached the tent to take my place. I was thinking the day was fittingly gloomy for a burial. Then I thought to myself, what a sorrowful end to it all. The funeral was for a Christadelphian sister who had lived a long life in the truth. Her name doesn't really matter But I will say this, that she had been a simple woman. She never really had much in the way of material possessions. She did not have a lot of friends. Probably really most all of her friends were those that were associated with the truth. And she had probably outlived most of those. She had lived to a full age. By modern standards, most would call her poor. She raised a family during the Depression. She had just learned how to get by with a lot less, and really it never seemed to bother her. She raised sons and daughters in the truth. Some had accepted the way of life, and some had not. Now this is not to elevate her in any way, but just the facts of her existence. She will have a righteous judge that will ultimately judge her life's work. Then it hit me as I was standing there. A shiver ran down my spine as the wind gusted and swirled around. But it was not the cold wind that made me shiver. It was the realization that this is where it all ends. Our life, that is. All that we know All of our consciousness, our present being, and existence ends here in the cemetery. All of our lives, efforts, all the hopes that we had, all the things that we enjoyed to do, the people that we enjoyed doing them with, all of our friends, all of our family, all the fun that we had, All of our desires, all of our relationships with our family, our loved ones, our friends, our brethren, is brought to a close. The book for us is closed. The last chapter is over. So these were some of the thoughts that were running through my mind as I looked up at the coffin that rested on the beer in front of me. It was a very simple coffin, not fancy at all. Now on this particular day it was not me in the coffin and it wasn't you in the coffin. But it will be eventually. Now as I thought about this sister and her life and all that she had experienced and all the many people that she had encountered during her life and that she had influenced, the realization that all of that was over, And it was all past. I felt a a great sensation of gloom and sadness. Now you're probably thinking you know what I'm going to say next. How that this sister and her knowledge of the truth, and really most importantly her obedience to the truth through baptism and all of the application of the truth in her life, offered hope past the grave. And, and indeed, this is all very true, it does. We look and hope for the resurrection from the dead and the assize of our life before the righteous judge. <clears throat> but even yet, death is very sorrowful in a gloomy prospect, isn't it? Death is truly our great enemy. There's no escaping it. It's something that we really don't want to think about. It's not a pleasant thing to think about. It always seems kind of far away. Not for me. Not my time yet. Yet there it is in front of of us, waiting on us as our great enemy. But, we're, but we really don't know how far away it is, do we? Even with all the blessings that the truth affords us, if we take advantage of them, we have this very sobering reality to come to grips with. Death. Death is in front of us. Death is on our path. These are thoughts that should be very humbling to us. Thoughts that really should create in us the opposite of of pride. Turn with me to Philippians 2, verse 8. Please. Of here, we read of our Lord, it is said in this passage, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the state. Now it is certain that our Lord was humble in all manner of his life. As a matter of fact, he was exemplary in his life of humility and his service to his father. But was anything more calculated To humble our Lord than the prospect of his death in front of him that lay before him. I guess this is a question for us, or the question for us is rather, will we learn from his example of humility and righteousness as he faced this grim reality? Let's look at uh, Mark 14, verse 34. Course this is in the the garden, just prior to his crucifixion, he said, and he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. So even with this great hope before our Lord, the Son of God, the Prince of Life. Even though he was the resurrection and the life, he was exceeding sorrowful unto death with what confronted him. Now the wise man Solomon had some words that will benefit us to consider this evening on this subject and to keep in our minds. As a matter of fact, he presents to us some precepts that really should never leave our minds. You know, Some brethren got up tonight and recounted uh, some favorite verses. And I think you know, we, we'll, we'll have favorite verses and we'll recall those in our day-to-day life. And, and they help us maybe to overcome, you know, as Brother Virgil mentioned, to overcome a day when we're down or having problems. Well, I think that you know, there, there are certain precepts that should always be before our face, that we should always understand. Should never leave our minds. And the message of Solomon is is for all of us, it's for the young and the old. And of course, it's a message from God. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And I'm going to read the first four verses. a good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of one's birth it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting for that is the end of all men and the living will lay it to his heart sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of the countenance the heart is made better the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So Solomon here presents to us wisdom that he has learned from the experience of his life. And these are words really that are difficult to understand. How can death be better than life? How can mourning be better than feasting? You know, these are words that would seem as nonsense to the to the present world. First of all, he he notes that a good name is better than precious ointment. First of all, precious ointment only hides the true nature of things. And in time, it wears off. We can liken this to prosperity or or wealth, the good times, the finer things in life. The joy of them and the pleasures they bring are very fleeting at best and very temporal they may not seem like that at the time but life's experiences will bear this out Solomon recommends for us to put off frivolity and to spend our lives in earnestness and seriousness in the service of Yahweh in his name which is the only name that is good which he refers to there in verse 1. Of course, this implies obedience and a faithful walk. Furthermore, two houses are compared in verse 2. He says that there's a house of mourning and a house of feasting. Solomon then says that sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. This is hard for us to accept, but we all know from experiences this is true. Maybe the older we are, maybe the more we realize this to be true. Is there anything like trouble in our life to help us focus and prioritize and realize what is truly important? I mean, witness the recent trouble we had here with the camp on the grounds. I think it helps us to realize what is truly important and maybe to not take things for granted as our nature causes us to do. Solomon was an amazing man. He left no stone unturned in his labors. If you look at the life of Solomon, go back and read you know chapters 2 and chapters chapters 3 and the early chapters of this book and you can read about his various exploits and endeavors he had everything a man could desire wealth riches I mean you name it this man had it he had wisdom above all men from Yahweh status power he was the king did all this satisfy him was he satisfied was he happy He said no. He said all was vanity. This was his conclusion, and he leaves with us the benefit of his experience here. Can we learn from Solomon? Will we learn from Solomon as we consider these words? Let's look over at chapter 9 in Ecclesiastes, and let's read the first four verses. For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not, As is the good, so is the sinner, as he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. There is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, and there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness, or folly, is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. For to him that is joined to the living, to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. So Solomon here in these few verses is careful to teach us that there is one event to all. He's real clear in stating what it is. He says in verse three, and after that to the dead. If you admit the words they go, those are really added. I think if we omit that from his sentence, we can see the you know the clear decisive message of the original and after that to the dead it is clear that while we are alive there is still hope you know there's compared here a a living dog and a dead lion you know in the dead the living dog is better so if you consider that to the jew the dog was a loathsome and horrible creature they didn't Keep dogs as pets as we do. So this was like probably the worst thing you could have would be a dog. And the lion was the noblest of animals, the king of the beast. But even the loathsome dog, as long as it was alive, was better. We'll continue in verse 5. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for their, the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment, Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might for there is no work nor device nor knowledge nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. This is the passage that we're all familiar with Unless there be any doubt, Solomon tells us very clearly of the finality of death. Death is final. Everything to do with you is gone in the present sense. There is no activity beyond the grave. All of your emotions are gone from you. And given enough time, everyone that even knew you In your life and experienced your personality, who enjoyed your company, they will be dead also. And at last, there's not even a memory of you. Nobody even remembers you. The memory of you is forgotten. It was as if you had never been. These are pretty sobering words to think about. Lest we think we're important, let us consider this. Think of how many brethren in Christ over the ages who have died and their memory is forgotten. Save it, except in the book of life, of course. But anybody that knows them is gone. Nobody even remembers. And that's, it doesn't have to be very long ago. We we all have sat around and looked at pictures of old pictures of brethren and you know, not knowing who these people are, some of them. People that knew them are dead. So Solomon tells us to live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy vanity. I think this is the key to understanding for us. Vanity means vapor or breath. It's a very fragile and brief thing. So we should enjoy Yahweh's bounty while we have it. We should above all realize that our present existence is but a stepping stone or a means to an end, if we choose to make it so. That's the condition. Otherwise, we come to our end in the eternal finality of death. We must don the white garment that he speaks of, We must do it while we have the opportunity. We must do it with our might. We must do it while we have time, for death is in front of us, waiting on us. Are we thinking, but I'm still young. I still have time to make my mind up. I have other more important pursuits for the present. You know, as I put these remarks together, uh, it's been a few weeks ago before it turned off hot like it is now. It was a beautiful spring day in Arkansas, simply glorious. The sky was a deep blue. It was in the low 70s, low humidity, a nice breeze through the air. The birds were singing. It was a glorious day to be alive. It was a beautiful day, and you all know days like that. You go outside and you just take a deep breath of air. and It's a, it's a great day to be alive. You know, and what a beautiful place we live in, indeed. You know, what the, the what Yahweh has given us, the place we have to live. You know, the earth that He has given to the sons and the children of men is, is beautiful. We have so much to be thankful for. And just the whole, everything around spoke of life. Everything was green and lush. And it's... And, And then, you know, I I got to thinking. My mind ran back to that day in February in the cemetery. You know, and that sister sitting there in that coffin on that cold uh, day in February. It was probably just about as great a contrast as as there could be. You know, it's the same thing. When we're in the springtime of life, when we're young and full of energy and, and vigor. You know, death is just seems so distant and so far away. Not even in the picture. But, you know, Solomon is real careful to warn us, isn't he? He tells us, beware. He goes, it's in, it's in front of you. Look at verse 12 of chapter 9. For man also knoweth not his time. As the fishes that are taken in an evil net and as the birds that are caught in the snare so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them you know youth has great advantage in the service of our creator we've got a, a fair amount of, of young people with us tonight in and in a good group I might add that we're blessed with but youth has advantages over age. And, you know, the time is not wasted in service to the Creator. Solomon is real careful to inform us that, you know, all life is vanity. And he's writing just as much to the young. If, if, if you can comprehend his words, they are for you. Only service to Yahweh is enduring. Everything else is just, you know, he, he's real, he tells us over and over, Everything is vanity. Let's go to verse, let's turn to chapter 11 and look at verse 9. He says to us, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou, For all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. And what he's saying is that they're a vapor. They're very brief and fragile. Childhood and youth are vanity. And we'll continue over in chapter 12 where he says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun, or the light, or the moon, or the stars, be not darkened, or the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease, because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened, and the doors shall be shut in the streets, when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also, when they shall be afraid of, what, of that which is high. And fears shall be in the way. And the almond tree shall flourish. And the grasshopper shall be a burden. And desire shall fail. Because man goeth to his long home. And the mourners go about the streets. Wherever the silver cord be loosed. Or the golden bowl be broken. Or the pitcher be broken at the fountain. Or the wheel broken at the cistern then shall the dust return to the earth as it was and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it vanity of vanities saith the preacher all is vanity so solomon takes us from youth through the end of life and solomon we know came to he came to an end of his quest for the greatest good in his life after all he accomplished and all he fulfilled and all he achieved he now shares these experiences with us so that they might profit from his life story so the question is will we listen to Solomon you know as the years roll by and they happen fairly quickly the energy and enthusiasm of youth becomes increasingly more difficult, the memory, which is works so well when we're young, uh, starts to falter. The ability to achieve whatever the heart desires turns into distress as the age and the years take their toll. The springtime of bright lights and warm and joyful days of activity are replaced by the autumn leaves and the impending winter of life. Gradually, the effects of age are felt as the body becomes tired and feeble. So this is what we all have to look forward to if we don't already experience it. So, Solomon speaks from experience as he observes and feels in himself the deterioration that comes over the physical condition gradually the activities of the body break down and he details that to us in these verses in chapter 12 and you know, in verse 3 you know he talks about the teeth in the mouth they falter uh, appetite diminishes in verse 4 trembling and fear becomes a fact verse 5 circulation weakens as soon the whole nervous system collapses, verse 6. And then finally, in verse 7, death is a reality and a finality. So the whole experiences of Solomon, all his wisdom and all his opportunities that he had ended in the cemetery. But there is hope and joy in the final verses of this remarkable book. The conclusion of the matter is to fear God and keep His commandments. The reason is simple. This is the whole duty of man. The word duty is not in the original and best omitted. So we could say, this is the whole man. Without the law of Yahweh, men and women are only half people. They live physically, but not spiritually. Adam was only half-made until the Creator provided a woman to complement his qualities. So the whole man will be found in Yahshua, the anointed, and his bride, those who keep his commandments. Recently in our home meeting, a brother offered a prayer that uh, impressed me. He impressed upon my mind. He asked our Heavenly Father that we be taught to slow down and, and, and in effect, i paraphrase, but to slow down and realize what is important in our lives. And I think that really, it really hit home with me at the time because it had been very busy lately in the home. And I just felt like, you know, throwing the brakes on and stopping because things just get to a feverish pace and you don't have times for the things that you know are needful but anyway i felt this was a very thoughtful petition that our brother made i believe you know we have kind of the same form of words when solomon speaks to us about the vanities of life so really what we have to do it's necessary for us to unbusy ourselves from what will hinder our spiritual lives It's quite natural for us to go in the other direction and get caught up in the affairs of life that we think are, you know, they seem like they're very important at the time, but but really there's no profit in them. So let me summarize my remarks and uh, wrap this up. Now this is not my advice. This is the advice to us from God through Solomon. First of all, this is to all. I'll start with the young children, the youngest among us. Listen to your parents and learn all of God's truth that they teach you. Be obedient to your parents and honor them. For then will you learn to reverence your Father in heaven. That's the best thing you can do. Learn what they teach you. Young adults, remember your Creator while your faculties and your strength are of great value for the work of the truth. Your energies, and your, your both mental and physical, are of great value to the ecclesia. And don't forget that. They are. Of course, they must be tempered by the experience of older brethren. But don't neglect the great energy and the vitality of your youth. Consider your choices. You know, life is about uh, the decisions we make. Remember the great enemy. Be obedient to the word of life. Do not count on long life. You may not have long life. Do not let the memory of you be forgotten. Make sure that, that you are recorded in the book of life. Older adults, brethren, remember we teach by example. You know, and we need to always remember that our example is going to be a much more powerful teacher to the, to the younger ones among us than what we say. What we say is important. We need to examine ourselves and our example that we demonstrate in everything that we do. Your example is seen in the faithfulness of your work in the ecclesia. You know That needs to be the center of our life and our focus what we do is more powerful than what we say. And I'll repeat with what I started with, remember that we teach by example. So we will conclude with some some questions for us to all ponder and think about. In the day of angelic visitation, will we wonder, what was I thinking? Why did I neglect what was important? Why did I neglect wisdom? Let us have this impressed upon us: whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Let's close. Um, we'll close with a reading from 90th chapter of Song Psalm, Psalms. Verse ten, Psalm ninety, verse ten. Close with these verses here. They fit in with our marks. The days of our years are three score years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength and labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Thank you.